Hello there, it's Wednesday and it's When in Spain. I'm Paul Birch and welcome to episode 7. In today's show we're going to talk about the world of work and specifically uh, teaching English in Spain. Coming up, I have an interview with a colleague of mine, Liam Hoof, who's an experienced English teacher. Uh, we worked together in the same language school during the last year. So we're going to be talking about uh, teaching English in Spain, how to go about it if it's something you want to get into, what qualifications you might need, uh, the kinds of English classes you could expect to be teaching, money, how much you can earn, and really a bit about the lifestyle, what it's like to work as an English teacher in Spain and how that fits in with the rest of your life when you're living here. And of course, it goes without saying, we'll be talking about uh, some of the things to watch out for, some of the pitfalls, and we'll be sharing our own personal experiences. Before we get into the interview, I wanted to talk a bit about why there is so much demand for English in Spain. Well, it's true, there is. There is a huge demand for English um, among teenagers, university students and indeed adults. Most of my students during the last year have ranged from teenagers right up to uh, people who are in their 50s people wanting to learn English for numerous reasons, but mostly because they want to improve their chances of getting into the university they want, to improve their chances of finding a job, which is uh, still incredibly uh, tough for youngsters in Spain, or simply to help their career progression uh, if they're already working. Uh, according to some figures from Eurostat uh, from last year, barely 13% of Spanish high school graduates can say that they have an intermediate level of English, while 35% say that they are stuck at a beginner's level and are unable to hold a conversation in English. So even though English is obviously taught in the mainstream Spanish education system, there's a huge demand for extra English tuition outside of the mainstream school system. Uh, according to statistics I found from last year as well, um, there are around 120 British schools in Spain uh, that teach approximately 50,000 students. And on top of that, there are some 4,000 English academies across the country uh, which employ teachers from English-speaking countries and also uh, non-native speakers who have fluent English as well. Most people who come to Spain to teach English end up teaching in private academies which uh, offer extra tuition to any students outside of the mainstream education system. Uh, many people teach English in companies, business English, and travel around different uh, companies teaching. And then there's also uh, the Auxiliar programme, which is a programme uh, run by the Spanish government, and it places teachers inside the mainstream national education system, uh, usually in institutos, which are the high schools. And during the Auxiliar uh, programme, people usually work as a kind of language assistant, so assisting the permanent English teacher in the school and also giving extra support to the students and working as a kind of uh, person who's on hand to have conversations and help the students practice their English. 
Uh, just a quick note before the interview, uh, you'll hear me and Liam talk about two different types of qualifications, uh, just in case you're not sure what they are or if you haven't heard of them before. Uh, one we talk about is called the CELTA, which is a course that I studied last year. The CELTA, C-E-L-T-A, stands for Certificate in English Language Teaching to Adults, and it's a qualification that allows you to teach English as a second language in numerous uh, schools and academies all around the world, and it's provided by uh, Cambridge University, and it's accredited by them. You can do it as a full-time course, which is about a month, and you can also do it part-time over a couple of months. The other course we talk about is called the TEFL, T-E-F-L. TEFL stands for Teaching English as a Foreign Language. And again, it's a certification which is typically required. So without further ado, here's the interview with Liam. So I'm here with my good friend and colleague, Liam Hoof, who has been teaching uh, English as a foreign language here in Madrid since, well, Liam, welcome. When was it? Early 2016, I started. I did my teaching qualification in Prague in March 2016. So yeah, two, two and a half years now. Two and a half years. And how have you found it? So you've been in Madrid specifically since last, uh, last year. Yeah. Yeah. What's your experience of it been so far? Rubbish. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's it's been good. It's it's definitely been different to the the Czech Republic. Um, I think there's a not a different standard of teaching, but you were teaching in Prague before. Yes, yeah, for two years. So um, yeah, not a different standard, but certainly the the type of teaching here is different. Really, I think there's the auxiliary program, for example, here, which obviously attracts quite a lot of people. And um, did you have a look at the auxiliary program? Yeah, the auxiliary program. Um, I I didn't look at it myself, but I I'd heard about it. I sort of knew what it was. It's basically it seems to be more directed at American. I mean, in my experience, most of the auxiliary program teachers that I've met um, seem to come from the United States. So, so so the auxiliary program is a program specifically designed for um, teachers who want to be placed in a Spanish high school, I think, in the high school system, working as a sort of conversation assistant. Yeah, I believe the government set it up as kind of this uh, initiative to to improve English here. Um, And yeah, I think it's it's quite a nice deal, though. It's 16 hours a week, a thousand a month. Yeah, I think it's it's good. It's not for me, particularly. One of our colleagues also teaches on the auxiliary program, and but you don't you don't actually teach English as such. You're just like a sort of support, a token English guy. You're the token English guy, or token token English speaker in in a school, and then you just help students with conversations. You're not actually planning and giving classes as such. Yeah, um, so I mean that's something I looked at because my you asked me about my teaching experience in Spain when I first arrived. I come to Faragotha to teach at another school that wasn't in Madrid and I've ended up here because of a bad experience in Faragotha. What happened in Faragotha? Um, I worked for a school um, named Redacted um, who really unprofessional setup, um, kind of uh, terrible contract, terrible working conditions and I think and I'd say this to most teachers who are inexperienced you will meet schools who are going to take you for a ride a little bit um, I got there and I was the most experienced teacher there and I had two exp- years experience and I noticed straight away this is a Mickey Mouse setup yeah so I come to Madrid contract not worth the paper it was written on 
Yeah, and <laughs> I think that happens quite a lot in in kind of south southern Europe. Um, and definitely to any younger teachers out there listening, I'd just do your research, really. Yeah. So Madrid, we both teach together in a small uh, neighborhood academy. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I'm I'm new to it, so this has been my first year teaching um, because I worked in other things before. Um, I've enjoyed it. It's been a new experience for me, um, teaching lots of different levels. But how, how does it work? Um, well, for me, it's been different because um, in the Czech Republic, I worked as what some people call a travelling teacher. So I would go to different places around the city. Um, for example, on a Monday morning, I would be at a bank. And then I'd go from a bank to a government institute. And then I'd go to a school to do an after-school club with like five-year-old kids. And then I'd go to a one-on-one so my day was there was a lot of variety in my day um whereas here this is my first experience of teaching just in one place it's been it's been quite interesting um yeah it's been good on on the whole yeah i think i've had a a good time it's definitely been easier um it's Mm. been very relaxing here on the whole yeah spanish style yeah yeah. (laughs) um yeah because i mean when i was first looking for teaching work last august september time um I, I mean, the thing is with teaching, I think in any way, in any, anywhere, you will find that a lot of the work is really bitty. So you might pick up a few hours in one academy, you might pick up a few hours somewhere else, or you might have to like teach in companies. That's quite common, isn't it? So you can spend, a, you can spend a lot of try, lot of time traveling backwards and forwards between different schools, different academies, different, uh, companies if you're teaching company English. Which, well, if that's what you want to do, is fine. But for me, I really didn't want to spend so much time traveling around the city, especially somewhere as big as Madrid, because you lose so much time that you're not being paid for, I suppose. And one benefit I found with teaching where we are now is, which, and I think it's quite hard to come by, is getting block hours. So you're getting all of your teaching in one place um, without any huge gaps between teaching. So, for example, we kind of teach in the late afternoons, and evenings through until about uh, until 9.30 p.m. But usually all of the classes, which are either one hour or an hour and a half, are all back to back. So you go in at four or five o'clock in the evening and you're there teaching pretty much solidly uh, until 9.30. So you're getting like a four or five hour block each day, which is good. Yeah, there's definitely benefits. I think um, when you said you wouldn't want to do it in a city as big as Madrid, that um, that kind of hits a nail on the head for me. I think if I was going to recom- recommend what kind of job to get, I think, say you lived in Valencia or Seville or even Faragotha, I think being a travelling teacher wouldn't be so bad. You know, you there are benefits in the, uh, for example, like I said, you would teach your first class at nine till 10. Your next class is at 12, so you can go and get some breakfast and stuff. Mm. Um, whereas in a city like Madrid, I imagine that you're just, you're just travelling all yeah. day you know yeah. you wouldn't have any time to think and it's it's very tiring doing yeah. that um but yeah in terms of job it's been it's been great um the only downside i guess for me has been working evenings um and eating habits being, <laughs> yeah. being english i want to have my dinner you know like it's tea time at five thirty. so starting my day's work then and kind of juggling when to eat has been a challenge and i don't really like eating after work so yeah that's yeah, yeah, that's a bit that's a bit strange. But yeah, as you were saying, it's it's nice and easy and you're lucky in this job to get a uh, a job where you can teach in one place yeah. generally. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, no, I agree with you with the hours because it it tends to be uh if you're if you're picking up block hours, it, it they're normally going to be either early in the morning 
or they're going to be in the evening and at night. It's not very, you're not going to get the sort of nine to five office hours or during the middle of the day. They seem to coincide with obviously when people are working or when people or students are studying. So most, a lot of our students are adult students who come and have classes after they've finished work. So obviously, or they might have classes in the morning before they start work. That does, of course, depend on your own flexibility with who and what you teach, though. If you're willing to teach younger children, there will be hours in the morning, you know, I think. But if you want to teach adults realistically, which I do, you're going to end up, you're going to end up working in the evenings. Yeah. I think from my experience, when I did the rounds last year, but going for interviews in different schools, they seem to say that in most academies, you'll end up teaching a kind of variety of levels and age groups. So, for example, I teach, or we both do, teach a mixture of adult learners, uh, university students, and then I teach a couple of classes uh, with 11, 12-year-olds and then 13, 14-year-olds. And some of them, uh, most of them are groups of about six to eight people. And then there are also one-to-one classes as well, one-to-one uh, conversation classes. That tends to be with adults or older students, I suppose. Yeah, uh, that, I mean, you've got to be prepared. If you want to work, like I say, in, uh, you're never going to avoid like children completely, for example, if you want to do that. But I think there is always the option of variety. I think a lot of people back home think I just go to schools, stand there, speak some English and then, and then come home. Whereas, of course, that's that's not the case. Um, but yeah, on the whole, I think the variety is good. It keeps you on your toes. So you were saying when you were doing the rounds last year, how easy did you find it to find a job as a, <clears throat> an, an inexperienced teacher? I mean, I came here with two years experience mm. um, in a career path where most people stick around for six months. So mm. it was, I was kind of okay. But what would you say to people who'd come here? Yeah, good question. Just qualified. So yeah, I did my CELTA course, which is one of the courses you can do to train to teach English as a foreign language. There's TEFL and CELTA, uh, the two main courses, right? Yeah. 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 And you can study those courses. They're usually one month long. And you can study them, well, anywhere in the world, any any kind of centre that offers the course. So you, you could do it in Spain. Um, I did mine back home in the UK. Um, so, yeah, I, I did the CELTA in the summer, in the June, and then I started looking for work here in Madrid in the sort of August, September. Um, given that I had no experience other than the CELTA course, um, yeah, it, it wasn't too bad. I had, I think, in total probably like eight different interviews. And out of those eight interviews, I think I was offered half of them, maybe three or four of the eight offered me work. And I just went with where we are now. I went with the one that offered me block hours in the same place. The other places that interviewed me uh, wanted someone to travel around the city teaching business in company classes, business English, um, which I wanted to avoid. But yeah, I, I found it fairly straightforward having said that um i don't know there are lots of places i sent my cv off to that i never heard back from so i imagine there are numerous academies who are looking for um teachers with at least i imagine at least a year's experience um under their belt but no i would say to anyone any prospective uh, teachers who are thinking of coming and doing that you will you will definitely find work even if you have no experience as long as you've got some kind of qualification under your belt uh, like the TEFL or the CELTA, um, you, you'll find work. You might be sort of a bit lower down the list, but you, you'll find work. Yeah, I'd back that up. I think I arrived 
having had this terrible experience at um, Name Redacted in Faragotha and um, I I had basically uh, 10 days, 10 days to get a job and get somewhere to live because uh, I was very skint really. Like the reality <laughs> yeah. of it was I'd spent a lot of money in Faragotha, I'd invested, you know, my flights, my accommodation whilst I was there. Um, I was relying on a wage, obviously. I mean, I'm 20, 26, so, you know, 25 at a time. It's not like I'm making massive money as a teacher. Mm. So I come here with 10 days and it was like, right, if I don't get somewhere, I'm going to have to fly back to Prague, stay on a mate's sofa, go back to my old job. Mm. Um, so it wasn't a complete disaster, but, you know, time was time was tight. And, yeah, I found within... I arrived on a Friday and the Monday morning I had two job interviews. I think it is here. And I do think um, it's definitely a good city to come to as a teacher because there is always the auxiliary option as well. You know, worst case scenario, you fall back, they're always taking people on, people drop out. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I as there are in a lot of cities, there are some dodgy, dodgy academies. Yeah, cowboy, cowboy backstreet academies Yeah, who yeah. Won't, won't give you a contract or a proper contract, um, won't pay your... Social, uh, social security contributions, who, yeah, cash yeah. under the table yeah. kind of situations, terrible yeah. work hours, terrible pay really as well, um, who, yeah, and I think you, you start to pick up on the kind of the warning signs, the yeah. more academies you go to, you see some good ones and you see some bad ones and you're like, okay, I'll, yeah. I'll avoid that. I one. think you get a gut feeling, don't you? If you go, if you go for an interview, you kind of get a feeling for, you know, when you see the school and you, you meet the director of studies, you know. You get... Yeah, I went, I went to one. And I mean, I can't remember its name. Um, but I mean, it was it was a very basic name. It was something like, I don't want to say a name in case I accidentally um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. drop someone else in it. Um, but, you know, it was like, we speak English good. Dot com. And I was like, okay, whatever. And um, <laughs> I went to the interview and they said, just go downstairs. And I went downstairs into this dark room um and the head of studies just sat in the corner on the desk and she was like okay when can you start and she didn't even introduce herself and it was like ah <laughs> do you want to see my qualification yeah do you want to see you my know, certificate no idea of what experience i had no idea of you know so i think just be careful as well if you come here i think there is definitely a yeah. in this industry in general i think there's a, a mickey mouse kind of wild west mentality with some places who are just out to make money off teachers mm. they rely on the fact maybe that teachers will drop out or that they're only staying for six months so it doesn't care matter if they mm. pay their taxes or they pay their yeah. social security or i think there's a lot of competition especially amongst the small the smaller academies in somewhere like madrid and any big city anywhere in the world you've got all of the the big names in the industry um you know the sort of um yeah, the big players in the EFL in industry. But the smaller schools seem to be really fighting, competing hard against each other. So they're cutting costs left, right and centre. Because, I mean, in Madrid, and I am I think in many other cities in Spain, um, they're absolutely saturated with academies and they're all desperately scrabbling to get teachers as cheap as possible and to get as many students as possible. So, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely the impression I got of just places like just really not interviewing me at all you know just going in and being like okay so you're a teacher when when can you start and i mean that's fine if that's what you want but for anyone who's looking at doing this long term avoid avoid them like the plague how much can you expect to earn or what what should you be aiming for you know not being 
not underselling yourself because there is some variation. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've, I've been teaching for a couple of years now. Um, you're never going to make big money doing this unless you go private and here, I mean, I'm sure you'll talk about like employment here at some point later down the line. Mm. Or perhaps you already have, I don't know. No, um, not yet, but I will. Yeah. Um, so I think here is not a country that would suit you to be a self-employed teacher, for example. Whereas in the Czech Republic, it was beneficial. You could get clients, and there was no kind of monthly fee for being self-employed. So you you can make you can make good money doing it. But of course, it depends where you come from. If you're coming from England and you're expecting to make English wages in a foreign country, you're, not going to happen. So, yeah, it's not going to happen. Um, but here, I think I. I think there's a misconception that Madrid is an expensive city. Mm. And I'm a firm believer in that you can do... I mean, I've been travelling for a few years now. And, I mean, I left home with a £1,000 student overdraft still. And I've been to 17, 18 countries in the last two, three years. And I'm, I have money now. So, yeah, you can make money doing it. As long as you're frugal, I think nowhere's expensive. But in terms of what you can yeah. make, I don't know. A good wage for a teacher in Madrid? I think if you're clear in... 11, 1200, you're, you're doing really well. Mm. Um, but a thousand is enough here, more than enough, yeah, I think. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, a thousand. I mean, accommodation is pretty cheap. Cost of living is cheap uh, in Spain, and especially in Madrid, considering it's a capital city, it's very affordable. I, I'd agree with that, yeah. Um, I, think, I think you could live a lifestyle here. I mean, I know some people come here and are constantly skint, but it, it comes down to personal decisions, doesn't it? I think going out in Madrid, for example, to clubs and stuff can be quite costly. But if you don't do that and you just yeah. want to go out with friends, I think you can still have a good social life here and make enough money to yeah. and save some money as well. I'm leaving Madrid in four days. You're um, off, yeah. You're going yeah. back home and then on to further travels. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I'm taking money back with me, you know, yeah. like a lot more than I come with. Yeah. Not that that's hard. but no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think from like when I was looking for jobs last year um i was seeing something along the lines on average of between 12 and 15 maybe 16 euros per hour more or less and the common thing i've noticed here is when they quote when they quote the hourly rate that you'll get paid that is um after tax so you know always they always seem to do it that way for language schools uh, for some reason so the hourly rate that they quote is normally that is exactly what you will get in your pocket um after tax so yeah about 12 13 maybe 15 maybe 16 if you're lucky i've heard of some people if you teach business english or in company classes can get 20 i have heard stories of teaching of people teaching private classes and asking 20, 25 euros an hour. So yeah, if you're it teaching, depends. if you're teaching private, you can, you can clear 20 an hour, no problem. But I would also say to anyone who's thinking of doing it, um, to take into account, as we were saying before, your travel time, all of those things, a place could offer you 20 euros an hour, but you can realistically only do four hours a day max. And you've got to travel. So you'd be at the house for 10 hours a day, mm. you know, so it does balance out. I think you're better off. Go into a smaller place where you're there and you've got block hours for less money because you're guaranteed the hours. You're not yeah. going to be tired. You'll still make the same money in the long run. <clears throat> and yeah. yeah, that's true. That definitely makes sense. Speaking to most teachers and like some of my other friends who teach in other parts of Spain, no, not many teachers tend to work more than about 25 hours a week, really. It's quite unusual for I mean, there aren't many, what I'm saying is there aren't many teachers who teach the sort of typical full-time, what you would like a full-time job. You know, there aren't many people who teach 
35, 40 hours a week because that's a lot and that's very tiring. And taking into account, you kind of have to spend some time of your own time planning and planning lessons and that kind of thing. Yeah, and I mean, a, a typical teacher also has to do that. But, I, you know, I would definitely recommend not doing any more than 20. Really, like, if I get 23, fine. But anything mm. more than 25. And especially if, like myself, you've come somewhere just for a short a short while. I've come here for a year. I don't want to spend that mm. time working. Mm. You know, make the money. In this lifestyle, I think, make the money you need to live. And that's it. Don't overwork yourself. Yeah. I mean, in Prague, I worked a lot more than I do here. And I, partly because I needed to. But it was, in the long term, much more tiring. And I think mm. I did get to enjoy the city, but I've I've had a lot more free time on my hands here. Not yeah. sure I've made the best use of it, but <laughs> yeah. Before I started teaching, my last job was like a normal, well, an office job, working forty hours a week. And I'm, I've what I wanted was a change. I wanted to work fewer hours, which this teaching English has allowed me, which has been really good. Um, uh, allowed me to actually enjoy living here, and I think what you're saying is exactly right. Depends on what you, what, what, what you, the person wants to get out of it. But if you want to come and really experience uh, wherever you're going to go and teach, yeah, don't teach more than twenty or twenty five hours a week. A because you'll be tired, because it is pretty draining teaching, and also you won't have you know the free time to really you know make the most of the place you're living and do things with your free time. And what would you say? to someone who is kind of working an office job, maybe in England, maybe already in Spain, mm. and they're kind of toying with the idea uh, of kind of sacking it <laughs> off, you know, becoming a teacher, because, you know, those who can do, those who can't teach. <laughs> I mean, but... Adage goes, yeah. What, what would you say to someone who is considering that? Uh, what I would say is, if you get, if you, like you said earlier, if you're going to go into teaching for the money, then no, don't do it because you're more than likely, especially back home in the UK or if anyone's listening from the United States or Australia or anywhere else, um, you, you know, you're simply not going to make the same, the same level of money, uh, as you would in a kind of normal job, so to speak. So you're going to earn less, but I don't know. Um, I, I've really enjoyed it. I don't regret, I personally, from my experience, I haven't regretted it at all. I, I wanted to get away from that office atmosphere and I wanted something uh, more sociable, face to face with people. Um, so in that respect, I, I've really enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, you're not going to earn as much. And I suppose, um, there's a bit more instability. Most contracts you get offered are for nine months a year so you normally work from sort of september end of september october through until um about june end of june so then you have got this gap in the summer where it's a bit more tricky to pick up work but then again there are other options there are summer schools there are summer camps you can teach private uh, uh private classes um and people tend to spend the summer uh, moving around and doing other things, or a lot of people just account for the lack of work during the summer months, have the summer off, uh, and try and save money throughout the rest of the year. But no, I think it, it gives you more flexibility. Um, so if anyone was thinking to leave their mundane nine to five office job, um, I would say go for it. If you want a change of, uh, change of atmosphere and you want something that's going to give you the ability to travel and work anywhere in the world, basically. Um, I would say do it um, because, you know, if you can do it and you don't like it, you know, you can always go back to what you were doing before. Um, 
you have not lost anything and I think it's just a really valuable experience. The only thing I would say is that to be taken seriously, you will need to do some kind of training course, which, and it can be a little bit expensive. It's a, a month out of your life because they're, the, the CELTA, for example, is a full time course for a month. Mm-hmm. And then you're looking at about a grand, £1,300 to do the course. So you've got to be prepared to stump up that money um, beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely echo that sentiment. Um, I think. There is okay, so there is the option of doing one of these online courses and and whatever. And I mean, you can do that, and it will cost you one hundred and fifty pound. But you'll have no real classroom experience. You will go to your first class, kind of, yeah, really nervous, scared. Um, yeah. And okay, yeah, you will get a job probably with one of the aforementioned Mickey Mouse companies or name redacted in Faragoffer. Um <laughs> but. You, the, the experience I gained from my course was invaluable. You know, I think um, I go to interviews now um, and I still am basically just repeating what I was told. <laughs> like, you know, I know how to answer questions. I feel completely comfortable. I feel like they taught me a lot about the industry, warts and all. You know, they told me like, don't do this, don't do this. I think if you, and I find myself speaking to a lot of online qualified teachers who have no idea, who are just being taken for a ride and it's difficult to watch especially people with like long-term ambitions to stay in it if you're going to invest in something invest in it basically you know it is a grand um well the school i did that at you get discount if you're in a couple so uh oh really yeah so that was quite useful for me <laughs> um, couple's discount yeah that's quite useful for me um because i teach with my partner i don't teach with her i live with her and we mm. travel and teach together mm. um and yeah it was great uh i can't you know, and even now when I'm having a, a class, and I need to prepare. I still think like, what would Kenny say? Kenny was my, <laughs> my, my training teacher. Um, so Kenny, if you're listening, all right. Um, what would Kenny say? And you know, you think and you, you get in situations that without that training, I probably wouldn't have been able to deal with. My students would have just been playing hangman. I mean, they still do sometimes, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's always a good time killer. Hangman. Yeah. But I think, yeah, it's invaluable and I, I 100% recommend doing it. I can't imagine having just flown out. To live abroad. I think also, mm. I would recommend doing it in the country you intend to live in. I think it's a great way to get to know the country, uh, the city, make some friends, which is very useful instead of just arriving and kind of being like, all right, add some people on Facebook. Yeah, no, in hindsight, I wish I'd done that now. I wish I'd have done it here in Madrid and not gone back home to do it. But uh, I, that's, what I, well, that's how I did it anyway. But I agree with you. The course was really useful. It was really intense. It's a pretty grueling course, the CELTA that I did. Um, but a really good experience. And again, you get that hands-on classroom experience, which is, I, I agree with you, absolutely crucial. Um, so yeah, my advice would be if anyone's thinking of teaching in Spain or in any other country for that matter, uh, yeah, do a CELTA or do a TEFL course. Definitely don't, don't waste money on these online courses, like you said. And also, yeah, you could pitch up in Spain and some many other countries with no experience, no qualifications. And yeah, you might be able to blag a teaching job, but I wouldn't recommend that. Um, well, as, as well, I mean, I'm, uh, if you want to stick in Europe, especially, um, I think other than some of the, some, I don't really know how to put this without sounding offensive to Spain. Um, <laughs> so, no, so, some of, some of the, the 
cities where there are kind of like these cowboy organizations, for example, you know, you, you will get a job with one of the online ones. However, my experience in the Czech Republic, where the standard of English was much higher than it is here, it was a lot more difficult to get a job without either yeah. experience or an actual qualification. Yeah. You know, um, and I often had to show my certificate in the Czech Republic. I haven't had to show it once here. Yeah, um, it's strange, isn't it? I haven't, me neither. I haven't, I yeah. haven't been, I've never been asked for my certificate. I often had to give copies of my certificate. And also other things. I mean, you can do that, but if you want to get, as we were talking about, summer camp work, you're not going to get good summer camp work without a real qualification. Hmm. And like I say, okay, if you if you're anything to do in this for a year, you want to come and DOS in Spain and just chill out, okay fine but if you want to do this for a few years then it's you know because you will have to do it at some point exactly i have a friend who is now having to do it despite having already having two experience. and a half years experience in spain yeah yeah he, he went to prague and he really struggled to get a job and he's now decided that yeah i've got to do it so he's now got a spender ground despite the fact he probably knows most of it but he just needs that certification so yeah 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 i think from what i've heard generally in europe you're going to need it. You're going to need the qualification. Um, if you go to, I don't know, South America or China, um, Far East, those kinds of places, less common. I had a few friends, I had a friend who taught in South Korea and ended up staying there for about four years. And he, he rocked up there with his girlfriend, no teaching experience, no qualifications, nothing, and got a, a teaching job in his school and ended up staying there for many years. So, definitely depends where in the world you're going to teach but i think if you're going to do if you're going to teach in europe yeah eventually you're going to need to do it's it gonna, unless you want to just keep working bad jobs yeah really is reality of it yeah and i think generally in asia it just depends really on whether you've got a degree or not which is fine but i don't get how having a degree in programming is beneficial in a yeah. teaching classroom but nonetheless that's basically the case so yeah i think there yeah. are countries you can go to but if you're coming to spain you might get away with it if you only want to be here a year. Yeah. But any longer, you've got to... Invest in yourself. Yeah, I, I, I think that makes sense, yeah. Getting the qualification is like a passport, isn't it, in a way? Because you can go anywhere, basically anywhere in the world with it. So if you want to travel, really, really useful to uh, teach your way around the world. Um, as you're um, thinking of doing uh, next year? Yeah, so... As you say, it's a passport. It, it frees up the world for you. Um, I have friends from my time here and from my time in the Czech Republic who are in, you know, South Korea, in Thailand, a friend of Malaysia. Um, people go everywhere. And yeah, next year, my my plan is to teach online. And uh, I work as a journalist as well. So to do both of those things and just jump from country to country. And I think it massively opens the world for you I, I don't think twice now about going to a new country it's not like the big step it was the first time around and i know you've considered moving within spain as well and it, yeah yeah you know, it takes yeah. a lot of distress off i think you know you can go somewhere and within a few weeks worst case scenario you, you'll find work yeah absolutely yeah no i agree that's sort of why i did it yeah I, my plan is not to stay in madrid forever um we're looking at moving down south and that's the curious thing with Spain. There's basically every town and city, even like really small towns, they all have at least a handful of uh, language academies, language schools. So yeah, in Spain, like you said, you can move anywhere, but yeah, anywhere in the world. Yeah, basically. I mean, aside from obviously English-speaking countries and... Um, but then again, I think you can do it in England. I think you know people who've done it back home in England. I think one of the most common questions I have... Um, 
from people is what well, so what are you going to do long term when are you going to stop doing this you know i think people have drilled it into their head um and, and in fact i hope if people are listening it can kind of change their mind a little bit and there is this misconception of like so what are you going to really do with your life yeah you know like this isn't a long-term thing i know some people sort of see it as a bit of a, a, bu- a bum job you know like you know just something you do for a year just to, as a way of traveling around and like some of my friends have said that like they can, they don't, they can't, yeah, people sort of look down on it a bit as if it's not really a proper job. I disagree. I mean, yeah, there are people who teach just because they want to do it for a year or two as a means to travel, but there are lots of people who've been teaching in the industry for, for years and years and years as well. It's yeah. a serious, serious profession. And there are career paths within it as well. You know, there are options to become a trainer or to become a head of studies or even, I think it's a very, it can be quite a liberating business. I think uh, industry. I think there are a lot of options. Yeah. You know, I think you, if you want to set up your own language school or you want to just be self-employed and just work for yourself. Mm-hmm. I have a friend who does not leave his house between the hours of nine and two. People come to him and he's free the rest of the time. Monday to Thursday, he makes all the money he wants to make. Mm-hmm. Um, so when people ask me what I'm, what I'm planning to do, it's... That. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and blogging about wrestling. Of course, yes. Liam's a huge uh, res- wrestling fan. Oh, I am. As I've yeah. discovered for, during the last nine months. For my sins, I'm still desperately trying to figure out a way to incorporate WWE into an English-speaking classroom. <laughs> so if any future students sure you'll manage it. embrace uh, brace yourself. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say to you? Um, so you're headed back home next, and then next year you're heading back, well, Eastern Europe. Um, well, just remind me where you're planning on going. So uh, the plan, as it stands... Um, is to start in Bulgaria, uh, go from Sofia to Zagreb in Croatia, Croatia to Slovenia, mm. Slovenia to Bucharest, Bucharest to Prague, um, chill in Prague, catch up with some people, you know, save some money, importantly, you know, crash on friends' sofas. Yeah, and, a bit of couch surfing. Yeah, um, <laughs> and then from Prague up to Wroclaw in Poland, where I also have some friends, um, back to England for Christmas. Mm. Um, and then after Christmas, providing this is still working, um, I think a sort of s- Portugal, south of Spain, Italy, try and avoid the winter as yeah. much as, it's as, good much plan. as possible. Head south during the winter months, yeah. Yeah, uh, possibly even the States. Uh, I'm going to WrestleMania in New York hey. next year. Um, so yeah, go to the States maybe. Yeah. Chill out there, stay as long as Big Don will let me. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, see where I go. Maybe South America, I don't know, you know. But yeah, it, it the world definitely... is your oyster. It is, it opens up the world for you. And I think as well, um, you meet so many interesting people who have, who recommend things. They're like, oh, go here, it's cheap. And you learn to live quite frugally. And mm. I mean, I did a trip two years ago around Eastern Europe for f- three weeks, covered five countries. And travel and accommodation was less than 200 euros. Wow. You know, so <laughs> the options are there, I think, if you're willing to, yeah. to look for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and just go on overnight coaches across the Polish border. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like these things are... <laughs> Midnight can. bus services around Eastern Europe. And what about you? I mean, you're a... You're a what's the word? Someone in Spain? An Hispanophile? Like, Hispanophile. I don't know. I don't know if you just, have you just I, coined I think that I've term. just sort of invented it. I okay. don't know. I would describe myself. Yeah, I'm, so that I'm so... That would have been a nice name for the podcast, mate. I'm not... not. Do you reckon? Maybe, yeah. I don't know. Um, I don't know if anyone's going to search Hispanophile. That's very or true. Or they might search Spain. 
But yeah, I mean, you love it here. We've got a slightly different outlook, haven't we? Because you're more still in the mode of travelling and moving around more, and I'm kind I'm of younger. You're younger. Yeah. The world's at my feet. And I'm 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 older, and I'm like no, I'm, I'm slippers at your feet. Yeah, exactly. Pipe and slippers. Not going to be moving around anymore. No, I mean I've I've always loved Spain, and um, this is where I plan to stay. So for me, it's sort of different. I'm here for the foreseeable future. Um, so I, I plan to carry on teaching here in Spain. Like you said earlier, um, there, there is scope to move to different places in Spain. I don't want to always stay in Madrid as much as I love it. It's, uh, I, want to, I ultimately would like to live in a smaller city in the future. Um, so I will carry on teaching, but I have background in journalism as well and communication. So I'm kind of also hoping to continue doing something along those lines on the side as well. But yeah, no, I will be staying here. So what... Well, what's your takeaway from Spain? Because I remember you from the past, you've sort of said it's pretty much exactly how you imagined it to be, but it's not your, it's not been your favourite place that you've lived compared to uh, Czech Republic or Prague. Yeah, no, I mean, I love the East in general. I find the East fascinating. Um, I, um, I love Russian literature. I'm obsessed with the Soviet Union history. So for me, the Czech Republic was fascinating. I think I'd meet so many interesting people there and I would highly recommend Highly recommend it as a city. It's beautiful. Um, the people are dead nice once you've kind of got past the initial cold eastern um, kind of curtain. Yeah, you know, um, once once you're past that, it's a, it's an amazing place and it's ideal for travel. Um, I mean, Spain's big, so it's not as easy to get out of, which has been slightly problematic. I think there's enough in Spain to see and keep you occupied for a year, but I think if you want to travel, it's not the best country to live in. Um, unless you have money, which being a teacher, as we've established, yeah, I don't. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I I like it here enough. I think it does everything it says on the tin for for the most part. You know, you want some tapas, you get some tapas. You want to see yeah. some flamenco dancing, you can see some flamenco dancing. <laughs> I don't mean to boil a whole country down to stereotypes at all. It just hasn't clicked with me uh, as much. I think it's also a very young city, and I I've yeah. said I'm young, but I'm. I'm in a relationship, a long-term relationship, um, so I don't really go out partying. So I don't think I've given Madrid its fair pop, because I think that's a big part of the life here. People go out a lot. Most of my friends go out all the time, and that's just not something I do anymore, really. So I think that's probably hinged my my opinion of it a little bit. Um, I've also worked evenings, so my social life has been null and void, effectively, Yeah, outside of you. So um, Yeah, this is the problem with teaching in the evenings. Yeah, so I mean, there's that downside. I would recommend for anyone who's young coming here and who wants that lifestyle, that kind of party lifestyle, because I'm sure Madrid is great for that, don't work in the evenings. Because I think you're just so limited. You know, like if you're working till 9.30 out in the sticks somewhere in the city yeah. an hour from home you want to get ready and change to go out and yeah I agree you know, and also you know you're tired as well you've been teaching for four or five hours in a block for example you know you've been talking yeah the sort of last thing you feel like doing is then chatting and talking uh, again but having said that yeah I agree with you uh, working evenings when it's late can be a bit problematic but then again in Spain and certainly Madrid People don't go out till later. So if you're in the, if you're working in the centre, it's not so much of a problem. I mean, you could get away with finishing at eight o'clock, eight thirty, 
and still have plenty of time to go out yeah, and you, eat and socialise. You could. I mean, but my girlfriend also works in the mornings. So that, that, right. that restricts me in terms of just spending time with her. Yeah. Means that if I was to go out in the evening, I'd be hungover the next day, lying in bed, she's gone to work, I don't see her. You know, so that's... <laughs> that's like ships that pass in the night, yeah. Yeah, so, and I, you know, I wouldn't want that. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think Spain, bureaucratically speaking, is a nightmare. Um, and I'm sure this is something you'll talk about. I've um, yeah, I've touched on it. Yeah, it, a, it is. There's a lot of ambiguity and grey area. And I think hmm. if you're someone like myself who does get stressed about that kind of thing, um, it's it can be stressful. I think I spent a good month here just panicking over um, paperwork and whatnot. And, and I mean, I'm a European citizen. So well, I don't know for how much longer, but um, yeah, that good point that makes it slightly easier than what it would be for an American. And I know I lived in the, the east, which is kind of you know land of Kafka, um, <laughs> but um, everything there was you knew what you had to do. Okay, it might have been long, but it was efficient. It was you might have had to have gone to ten offices, but you knew where the offices were. You knew yeah. what time you could go. Yeah, here you book an appointment and you wait six weeks and then whatever you needed to get is expired or there's yeah. all this kind of like it's true it's true it's i think true. for someone who's coming here for a year it can be a stressful a stressful thing you yeah. know you know that you're only here for a year and you're waiting around six months to get something and, paperwork and yeah i think that's tiresome and it kind of and also for me personally you know madrid was never my first intent like it wasn't where i planned to go wasn't your first choice so this yeah. was kind of just like a I've got to go somewhere, you know? So yeah, yeah. Madrid was a logical option in Spain. Um, so yeah, it's not that I haven't enjoyed it because I have, I just, yeah, I just haven't clicked with it in the same way. But that, I don't, I think anyone who wants to indulge in Spanish culture or learn Spanish, for example, it's, a, it's the ideal place, mm. you know? I haven't learned Spanish. I'm useless. I'm quite lazy with languages, <laughs> somewhat ironically, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's perfect. I think if you want to come and really experience Spain, my girlfriend loves it here. You know, she goes to salsa classes, she has Spanish classes, she has intercambios, she goes hiking with Spanish families, and she really loves Spanish culture. Yeah. And I think it's perfect if, if that's what you want. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think um, if that's what you want, Madrid is a really good place, definitely. It's a good city to experience a sort of real Spain. Um, and, you know, there's, lot, there's a lot of options here for finding work, being a capital city. Um, loads of things to do i mean i know what you mean sometimes you i mean even though there's loads to do in madrid you can feel a bit trapped in madrid because it's bang in the center of spain you've got to travel quite far to get to sort of the next biggest places Which would be, um, what valencia faragotha maybe yeah, Zaragoza, three hours valencia um the portuguese border um if you're going south to get down into andalusia you know seville Cordoba. Yeah, you look Cordoba. You're looking at several hours driving. You know, long drives. You're and looking, that's if you can drive. I mean, if you're here for a year, you're not going to have yeah. a car. So you're looking at very long coach trips of you know, four or five hours. There is the high speed train, which is fantastic but expensive. So you can get around the city, uh, around the country from Madrid easily by train, but it can be pricey. So you you are kind of tied to Madrid. Um, having said that, there are what there are some a handful of small, quite pretty cities. An hour from Madrid in any direction. You've got Toledo and Avila and Segovia. Segovia and a few other places, which are worth a visit. But they're all quite similar. And I think once you've sort of visited them, they're not necessarily places you're going to keep going back to. No, I think it's nice to get out, though. It is, it is nice to get out of the city. And there are some, I mean, I love hiking, for example, and there are some great, um, 
like hiking yeah. trails outside the city and it's a very green city actually um outside of the center you know um but yeah it, it can definitely feel more restricting mm. um in terms of travel it's almost like being in england where it, it is expensive to get out um i mean i've managed to i've got around spain in nine months yeah, you've done, you've done a lot of places in nine months, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, I've been to Faragoffa, Valencia, Barcelona, Malaga. Um, I got to Lisbon and Porto for a week, yeah. which was great. And then all the small little cities as well. So, yeah, I've, I've seen my first... Yeah, you've done, you've done really Spain. well for nine months. I, I don't think I saw anything near that much during my first nine months here. But, yeah, so, yeah, it can be pricey getting around. But strange thing is it can actually be cheaper to fly get internal flights rather than getting trains a lot of the time yeah it was for me to barcelona it was cheaper to fly than it was to get especially the ave which is the speed train here yeah um, it was cheaper to, to just fly and i mean portugal is cheap from here yeah. you know there's i think i spent 110 pound on flights and accommodation in good old airbnb so there you go so you're off Back to the UK. Um, is there any one thing that you would say you would miss? You, Paul. Hey, good answer. You. Um, good answer. Yeah, I mean, it's been, it's, it's super chilled here. It is really relaxed. Mm. Um, outside of, as I said, the bureaucracy. Um, but I think if you're the kind of person who doesn't get stressed by that, like me, you'll have a great time here. I think there's really, like, work is not stressful. The city, I mean, there's, Spain's got an aging population. So Madrid, if, especially if you're from sort of London or Berlin or Paris, it's yeah. it's not like that, you know. It's There's a lot of people, but it's not hectic. It's not, mm. there's no rush here. No one's rushing themselves in Spain. So, um, <laughs> so that. yeah, I think I'll miss that. It's very chilled here, yeah. really, on the whole. Outside of, like I say, the bureaucracy. But I think that's a personal thing where I get very et up about that kind of stuff. Other than that, I don't really see what would stress you out here. It's cheap. It's nice. It's yeah, the weather. It's a livable, livable city. I think Spain yeah. in general is fairly is a livable country. Really, I think, like you said earlier, the only thing that is a pain in the ass is bureaucracy and paperwork. Really, but, yeah, you know, that is just have to accept it. That's by the by, and I think you'd you'd have that in most countries. I just think here it's particularly ambiguous, which yeah. makes things difficult. Mm. Um, but yeah, on the whole, I mean, it's it's chill, isn't it? It's well chilled. Yeah, there we go. Wow, there you go, Liam Hoof. EFL teacher extraordinaire and wrestling fanatic. Thank you for chatting to us. No worries. Thank you. And have a good trip. Cheers, mate. Cheers. So there you go. There's the interview. Thank you for listening. Um, I hope you found it useful. Uh, Just before I go, uh, a couple of useful resources which are worth mentioning. Dave's ESL Cafe, a website all about uh, teaching English as a foreign language. And uh, there's a forum on there where you can meet and talk to other teachers, job offers, uh, information about uh, different courses if you're interested in becoming an English teacher. Uh, The website is eslcafe.com. Another one is called Lingo Bongo, L-I-N-G-O-B-O-N-G-O. The website is lingobongo.com. And if you're looking for lots of in-depth information, there is a fantastic podcast series called The Teffel Show. Uh, Teffel, T-E-F-L, The Teffel Show podcast, which you can find on iTunes. So if any of you have any questions about teaching English in Spain or teaching English in general, uh, feel free to get in touch with me. To do that, you can head across to wheninspain.org and send me an email through there. And as I always say, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, the handle is wheninspain. 
and also on the Facebook page. The handle, of course, is When in Spain. Uh, don't forget, if you're enjoying the podcast series, um, I would really appreciate it. Be super, super happy if you could leave me a little review or a star rating to help give the podcast a boost. So that's it for this week. Until next Wednesday, have a good week and adios. Mm-hmm.